0: episode we're joined by Holly Heider-Chapel of Holly Chapel Flowers. Welcome Holly. Hello, how are you
1: today Kathy?
0: Fabulous. We got some needed rains this week. How about you out in Virginia?
1: A a little a little better. The heat is um, grueling and really difficult for um, us as we're gardening but we're we're putzing through it as best we can. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so for those listeners who are outside the mid-Atlantic area, I think this is our 14th day in a row of 90 plus degree days with um, matching humidity levels. So (laughs) it's, it's tough out there in the middle of the day for all gardeners of all kinds.
1: And all plants of all Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say in the plant, there's maybe my okra is loving it. And that's probably about it as far as the, as the heat goes. Maybe a couple of the tropicals like it, but everything else is, is, you know, trying to survive out there. So I was going to ask Holly to start off with a little bit of her background. So there's people all over the world who follow Holly. Uh, both through social media and her online classes, but to tell our listeners why that would be.
1: Uh, So a little bit about me. I got my start um, at the hand of my father. My father owned a landscaping firm and it ultimately became a garden center. Uh, As a child, I would go with him um, on landscaping contracts. We would get to take turns going to work with dad and they had a maintenance crew, and they did upkeep and gardening. And then he ultimately started a garden center. And actually, even before that, he was a produce farmer. Um, My grandfather was a produce farmer as well. So I've been around it all of my life and really wanted nothing to do with it. And all of a sudden, you know, here I am, and this is my whole life and my whole world. So I um, left home when I was just 21 years old, and we bought a property that had a lot of old time shrubs, lilac, peonies, um, hydrangeas, spirea. It just went on and on, um, viburnums galore. And I started designing from the flowers in the garden at the house that we moved to when we were just a young couple. So that's how it got started.
0: Hmm. So basically self-taught, but raised in a world of gardening and flowers and plants.
1: I Yes, I always say I'm self-taught from the design perspective. And then, you know, just, you know, a few years ago, I was being interviewed in depth and it really came out that, I guess my father was my first teacher because at the garden center I would do his um, designs for the holidays um, in particularly Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he taught me how to make centerpieces, garlands, wreaths, kissing balls. And so all of those mechanics that I'm so good with, actually I got them from my farmer father. Um, and so self-taught, um, as it goes to the wedding industry, but the fundamentals came from, you know, an avid gardener and, um, farmer.
0: A great foundation to build on right there.
1: It it definitely gave me confidence. (laughs) So,
0: and I would think beginning flower rangers, I find have a fear of not working with flowers, but maybe injuring them, breaking them, not wanting to play rough with them, I think. And maybe some of that in your background taught you that flowers are very forgiving.
1: Well, that and also my age. I think, you know, when we're younger, we're less aware of all the possibilities that can go wrong. So we boldly jump into things and just believe we can make it work. And so I learned certainly a lot by trial and error. And um, I think, you know, We also all personally have um, a lot of anxiety and fear about, you know, are we going to do this right and do it well enough? Not even so much about damaging the flowers, but will we create something that is beautiful and makes us proud? I think a lot of people don't let themselves enjoy the experience because they are so afraid of the outcome. And it's through practicing the art that you become better at design and you have to start. So that's my thoughts on that.
0: And there's also the fact that they're flowers. I mean, how much can you mess them up? They're beautiful.
1: Well, (laughs) I mean, there is a lot to processing the flowers and caring for them. And there, you know, there's a lot to be learned about composition and shape and form and, color and depth and blocking I mean but yes at the end of the day they're not you're not going to kill someone um if you fail so that's the beauty (laughs) so
0: and even if it's not the most perfect arrangement you still got to play with flowers for an hour or so that is so true and you were saying with your upbringing on the farm with your father and the nursery and landscaping experience that that wasn't something you wanted to pursue for a career, a plant career of any kind were you thinking of. Um, Can you tell me some of those experiences growing with him, what you maybe liked and didn't like about that experience?
1: Well, I think too, for me, that in particular feeling came from the fact that we were in charge of watering the plants and growing the plants and we sat on a pickup truck on the side of the road and sold corn and tomatoes we weren't actually making so when i realized that they were an art form and that i could design with them i fell in love with them but you know it summers were grueling um you know these 90 degree temperatures we were all i had two sets of twin sisters that were just one and a half and 3 years younger than me so there were five little girls out in the field and One of our most um, horrendous stories was growing chrysanthemums. So my father would grow thousands of chrysanthemums and we began with a plug, a small baby chrysanthemum plant. And the way that you bring that into fruition and to size of the pot is by cutting back and cutting back. So, you know, after we sit on the dump truck and fill thousands of pots with potting soil, We put those little plugs into the pots and they're just rows and rows and we're cutting back to promote growth. And that's all pretty easy until the plant becomes the size that um, dad has established he wants it to be. And then now we can't let it bloom. And so you have to manually with your fingers, just pinch all the buds off. And so you are holding it back from blooming until fall. And my dad, um, he was a bit of a joker and he was sassy and kind of full of himself. And he would walk through the fields and go, mom's the word, girls, mom's the word. And you just, you know, as a kid, you don't want to do the work that your parents have set out for you. And you don't understand that it's an ends to the means and that you have to hang in there and see this plant to fruition and that it's going to end up, you know, being the bread, milk, egg, and cheese on the table, right? Like you're just, you just want to get out and play. So um, I learned so much from him about not giving up and um, pushing through and, and man, am I ever relying on him now and everything I learned from him um, in a way that I never imagined considering the situation that we are all in today. Um, you know, we're having this conversation, um, four months into COVID. So here I am farming and that's the one thing that remains in my business. So it's been, um, really powerful and crazy. And, you know, every time I, you know, throw my shovel into the ground. I think this is unreal. How did this happen? Um, for the people who weren't listening, I am a luxury event designer and I use that word luxury cautiously. I actually don't like to use it. So I'm sorry I did. Um, I, I got to do high end, very detailed, elaborate weddings and events. And, um, I was an educator. I still am an educator. I'm not going to say was in the past. Um, And I produced large conferences and workshops. And all of that was lost when COVID came. Um, Every wedding, um, every conference, every event that was scheduled at my farm was all of a sudden gone within a matter of a few weeks. So we are thankfully, um, you know, able to turn to our farm. Um and continue to grow more flowers and use those to keep our business thriving and going, and also help with the supply chain, which has been severely broken because of what has happened with COVID. So, you know, for the time being, until things change, I'm a farmer. <laughs> so here we are.
0: <laughs> and I would think that when you purchased the farm a few years ago, that was not what you thought was going to be happening five years or ten years down the road.
1: Well no, not in a million years. I mean I wanted to create a destination for floral designers, floral infuse floral enthusiasts. I my flowers, my stems were always used to support my weddings and the workshops that I was producing. And we were getting a lot of requests to come to the personal home that I live in to study with me and I have seven children and having visitors here at the, at the farm, the house that I live in was getting a little crazy and I was renting very expensive spaces in New York and England and I just needed a home base for our our school. So the intention was to grow, um, to buy this farm, to make it into a place, a destination for festivals, flower, um, focused events, education, or for um, freelancers who were coming from across the country to stay with me at the farm and do events with me. Those stems were grown to support those designs, but it was um, basically for my own use. And now, you know, yes, I never, I intentionally—that's what the irony of all of this is. I intentionally went in weddings and events because I knew that they happened no matter what the show must go on. And as a garden center, I saw dad suffer and um, really just, he struggled so much with, um, you know, bad weather or you know all of a sudden it's mother's day and a frost has come and everything is destroyed or it's pouring down rain and no one shows up and his sales could be destroyed simply by mother nature where for me I was like okay well weddings and events are going to happen no matter what um if it's pouring down rain I still get to do the work and I thought I was you know picking a more sure career and You know, here it is in the middle of this. And truthfully, the one sure thing is, you know, the land itself and the ability to grow. And that is what I'm turning to. You know, even where we started growing, um, you know, produce as well uh, to help our family and to make a visit to the farm, More beneficial to our clients so that we can ultimately pair like herbs and tomatoes with bouquets of flowers, and um, everything will remain flower focused. But we are, you know, doing everything we can to grow more and to enhance the
0: experience. And you're still open for visitors to come. Is that by appointment only?
1: Well, the farm has always been. kind of just closed for guests who were booked to come and study with us. Now what we have done is open it to the public, but it is by appointment in that um, for the time being, you are coming because you've purchased a design or some of my um, mechanics or other things on our shop. And you have a time slot in which you are to be there and the designs will be ready. And we greet you from afar put your designs and your, um, you know, shopping purchases out on a table and then you're able to take them away so that we're social distancing. I do realize that there is a great desire to come and experience the farm. And as we watch the environment and what is happening, you know, and following you know CDC and state um, governing rules, we will open up more and allow people to come in for educational opportunities and experiences. For right now, we're not doing tours at the farm, but I think we're going to get there at some point.
0: Yeah, that'll be something to look forward to. And in passing, you mentioned mechanics and ordering mechanics. So um, in traditional flower arranging, you used um, a flower foam or the trade name oasis for a green block that you would stab stems down into to hold the stems and then that would be soaked in water and hold water for the stems but you have a a different uh, way of designing.
1: That's correct so I developed a mechanic for floristry I believe my product has been out for three years now. I'm starting to lose track. I think fully have that documented and I should go put that into my memory. Um, I developed this mechanic for florists um, and it hit the market and everyone kind of went wild for it. It was a grid, an armature for bouquet work, and then it developed into centerpieces. So this grid is called the pillow. And the mechanic for bridal bouquets is, is called the Egg. It is manufactured in this country by Syndicate Sales, who is a, a legacy company. Um, the grandparents were the ones that came up with the water tube. And so they took on this um, endeavor, my ideas and concepts, and brought this product into life. And now, It is um, actually making its way into the mainstream and is available to the public. It should be available in um, mass marketing stores in in a very short period of time. But this is an approachable way for floral design. So it makes it easy for anyone and everyone, and particularly those people who are a little bit afraid to try floral design. Um, It's just a lot easier than the foam, more forgiving, and it is also eco-friendly. Um, the armature itself is recyclable, and um, it is reusable. So, with floral foam, that particular product doesn't really break down. They they will say that it breaks down, but actually, what happens is eventually. It's just tiny microplastics that fall off into the watershed, and that is um, having a really profound effect on our marine life. So this is um, a very hot topic, and so much so that the Chelsea Flower Show has banned the use of flower foam in the coming year. It would have been at this garden show, so... Um, which of course was canceled. So next year, but um, I think I think that what is happening with this is that it's making everyone aware, but it's also making people enjoy um, the act of floral design and not be afraid. When you finish making the design, you're able to pick the entire piece up off of the vase, and you're literally you literally could throw it up in the air and catch it, and a single stem will not fall out you're able to recut your stems very easily and continue the care of a floral design by adding fresh water to the vase, keeping that water really clean. Or you can pick the design up and change it to a different vessel. Say you have guests coming on Saturday and it's in a silver vase and on Sunday it would look better in gold. You just pick up the whole design and it takes everything onto the next vessel. So it's really super cool.
0: Hmm. And for those podcast listeners who are, are trying to envision what we're talking about, it's kind of like a, an egg shaped, like picture of Faberge egg laying on its side, uh, made out of a grid, so <laughs> that it sits on the top of a vase or an urn, and then you would thread. I I guess for for lack of Mm -hmm. a better word, uh, the stems through it. And then you could change your mind and stick it in another position and change your mind again and pull it out of whatever holes you had used in that cage, which makes it far superior, not just for the environmental benefits of not using the floral foam, but also because you can rearrange and rearrange over and over again whereas the foam once you stab a hole into into it it was very unforgiving if you took that stem back out that that hole was there always and the foam
1: was shattered and couldn't be used again so it it definitely it's such a blessing I um I I, I still can't believe that this happened and that it was born I mean for a home-based floral designer who was not formally trained, you know, this was an amazing gift from the universe that I came up with this. A chicken wire was the initial um, form that I made it out of. And chicken wire has been used in floristry for many, many, many forever. I mean, way, way back. But I think most people were crunching um, florist wire or chicken wire, into the bottom of the vase, and then you could see it if it was a clear vase. And um, you couldn't remove your design and move it to another vessel. Um, And then for the bouquet work, while chicken wire was used in like funeral work, and maybe possibly in bridal bouquet, we've not ever seen an image of it. Um, This form allowed for you to create a the, my form allowed for you to create a very open and gracious um, bridal bouquet that is supported. The stems are, um, it it forces a space between each bloom so that you can see the 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 beauty of each stem and blossom, and you don't have that tight round ball that was um, popular years ago and has lost its. Um, it's following for the time being.
0: Yeah. I think it it really encourages a larger scale and more open scale type of look. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, in in the end creates a more romantic, loose effect.
1: And and natural. I mean, it's a very um, organic um, style that is, it very much speaks to those that love to garden. I, I feel like you can do a clean round design in it. And I still use the armature when I when I go to a different design style, but it definitely makes it really fun to play with like long trailing passion flower vine or clematis vine. You can, or even um honeysuckles and bittersweet. The pillow itself, when it's sitting up on an urn or a compote, you can take your stem, insert it into the pillow and the bowl, and then arch it and make loops and tie it down to the armature, if that makes any sense, so that you can take a stem that is four or five foot long and actually weave it through the design. So it's also heavy enough to hold things like apples and pumpkins and small pumpkins and gourd ornamental fruits and things like that so it's really it's really cool
0: so, and you mentioned in that list of things that it could hold, passionflower vine, and how many of us have gone to a florist or ordered a floral bouquet and said, can you add some passionflower vine to that bouquet? <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that it opens up uh, a larger vocabulary to walk around your own home garden and to think about what you can arrange with at, that's outside the box.
1: That, I mean, that's definitely what I'm all about and why the farm was so important to us. Uh, The passion flower, all of the different vines. We have quite a few jasmines. Um, There are so many things that I really love that are not available through the wholesale market. Abelia is one of my absolute favorites. The nine barks. These are not things that you see um, when you're ordering flowers from the wholesaler as a as a retail florist or an event florist. Um, Dahlias are another one. We grow tons and tons of dahlias. And that flower just um, does not respond well to the process of being harvested across the country, flown to the wholesaler, put in a box, sent to the designer, and then the designer finally gets it. It's usually quite tired. It's much better for that to come from a local resource. There's so many flowers like that that have a, a four to five day um, shelf life and when you spend three days in transit you lose really the functionality of so many of these stems. So that's one of the really big focuses for us at the farm. And and another big focus is making it you know visit worthy because you know, in the past, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to grow the stems for my weddings and events. Now we're hopping around trying to increase the gardens so they're worth coming to see um, and clean up the property so that it is, it has a new use, which it's been a very um, busy, busy year for us. We, you know, my husband is the main person that grows everything. Myself and my Um, designers, you know, try and help, but really he's the one. And for him to have to increase by what we were growing by twofold or threefold, that was a lot of pressure for this year, but so far so good if the weather will um, let out just a little.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And um, so you mentioned uh, one of my favorite words, which is local. So sourcing gardens locally um, and that goes kind of hand in hand with the newish slow flower movement. Can you talk a little bit about your involvement in both the local trend and the slow flowers? So
1: for me, uh, because I was always so influenced by the garden, it was natural for me to use the elements that I could pull in. And that's what set my work apart. And, you know, 10 or 11 years ago is when I started blogging and there was a, a definite interest in what I was doing because I was using these flowers for my garden locally, um, sustainable stems. And that's really what kind of brought me to the forefront. At the same time, I became friends with Deborah Prinzing, who is um, in charge of the slow flower movement. And she has, you know, done her best to support... Everyone who uses, um, her first initiative was the 50-mile bouquet, which were flowers that were right within your own local area. And then um, she became very active in the American Grown campaign, which became a certified American grown farm. So many of our listeners might go into the grocery store and see that certified American grown Um Tag on the flowers in the grocery store, and that's our origin. That's where those flowers are coming from. So, so many of them are coming from out of this country. Now, I do my best to grow and use local and um, support our local farmers, but I am there are some designers that are 100% local and do not use flowers from other countries. I Because I do use a lot of roses and specialty blooms, there are certainly times when we deviate from that practice, but we are always mindful and consider if it can come from this country first.
0: And of course, sourced from your own garden, couldn't get any more local than that.
1: Well, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And um, I want to talk a little bit about the palette of what you design with, um, the hues, I think in your creations are more almost sepia tone, or if you were to use that sepia filter on your Instagram, um, there's a lot of toffees and tans in there, um, which I think maybe even 10 or 15 years ago, you were just not seeing roses or dahlias in a creamy tan color available on the market.
1: Well, that that is very true. I think combo rose came out about about ten years ago. I remember doing my first photo shoot with the combo, and um, it just w- was like magic. It's a golden mustard co- color. Um, today, toffee is the other really big one, and then there is the rose golden mustard. But these tones, strangely. Um, work with every single color palette. So what they are to me is an equalizer and they allow me to develop um, a broader, more rich color palette because they equalize and balance that transition from one tone to the next. So most of my designs do have um, these muddy browns or copper tones simply because it allows me to have a more um, elaborate color combination. If I am struggling with a design and it doesn't feel like it has enough layers of color, or maybe the color palette is really just, I don't want to, I'm going to say trite, So like if I do like a pink, a baby pink and a baby blue, we've all seen that before and it's lacking some sexy and some richness and some now components. But if you start to add like the coppers or the, you know, brown tones in there, the golden tones, then all of a sudden it is a much more developed and rich color palettes. So I use it to um, get me out of trouble when I'm trying to blend things that don't typically blend together or when I'm trying to advance a design that is looking rather standard and not that um, unique or sexy.
0: Yeah. And what makes a flower arrangement sexy in your opinion? To me,
1: it's shape and composition it's the layering of color, it's the depth, it's that all of the principles of design are touched upon and that there, you know, there are focal places and, you know, there's texture and all of the components are there. A block of hydrangea, actually, if it's from the garden would kind of make me okay, but normally a block of hydrangea that you know, came from the grocery store um, or out of the country, South America, wouldn't really appeal to me because it doesn't, it looks manufactured. It doesn't have the nuances of hydrangea from the garden, or it doesn't have the layers of texture. I like to see lots of different types of flowers, lots of different shapes, and then shades, several layers of each shade Blending into each other.
0: So it wouldn't just be um, the same pink, matchy-matchy, all across the bouquet?
1: No. I would do layering of every... If a color comes into one of my designs, it is a rare occasion that one flower is the only color in the design. I would have layers of yellow or layers of pink. I don't typically... I mean, I'm sure I've done it before, but I wouldn't randomly go to a design and throw yellow into the middle of it without an accompanying flower to go with it, accompanying tone.
0: And I think you've perfectly described also what makes beautiful garden design itself or landscape design. Um, It would be picking up color themes and weaving them um, throughout beds and echoing back and layering. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And it's what makes it so much fun, too. I mean, if we made the same design over and over and over again, I think we would lose our interest. But the fact that there's always something new and evolving and emerging in your garden and that you can take those tones and play with them and build something, you know, that's never been seen before, that's really, that's exciting. It makes you want to get up and run to the table to design. So... Or run to the garden and find all the treats and treasures. I, um, I have a saying that um, is really, it, it's kind of the core in our studio. You know, if we're struggling with a design and it does not look right, I will always say to the team, the answer is in the garden. And for me, every design that I create, every single one of them has something from the garden. If it doesn't, it looks stale to me. Um, it looks like it is lacking and, um, I go out and try and find that one treasure to elevate that design to the next level. And it doesn't even matter what the season is. I can always find something to make a piece look unique.
0: And I think that floral design, um, it has somewhat of a misnomer in that you're not only using flowers of course you're using seed heads you're using the foliage you're using branches do you have some other uh, favorite natural materials that you might weave into a an arrangement
1: we we do um a lot of um weeds and dried grasses believe it or not um I definitely collect barks um and you know, woody branches, and I'll even save those things. Like I have bundles of, um, wooden, you know, branches and things that we have used in big installations and I just keep using them and recycling them. I love like the pods from my, um, Siberian iris or my tulip poplar. I I mean, I'm I use every piece of hydrangea in my garden. Once it has dried, I will start tinting it to the color I need it to be. Uh, When we get to the dead of winter and it is absolutely brown and dead, I start painting it gold for holiday designs. So pretty much everything out there um, can become a part of a design.
0: Yeah, I love playing with um, some of the mosses and even mushrooms that are out there in the fall, which is fun to do. So you were saying you were you would tint your hydrangea. Is that using a special floral spray or dye?
1: Yeah, there's a spray called Design Master. It's available at the craft stores, and it allows us to tint this flower, whether it be fresh or dry, and bring maybe bring the shade up a bit or completely transition it to a new color. We did um, a wall for the Kennedy Center for Honors. And of course it was rainbow. And we did, I think, 2,500 stems of limelight hydrangea that was literally brown dead. And we made it into rainbow and it was absolutely spectacular. It was 12 foot tall and 12 foot wide. And we had to build two of them um, because Big Bird was being honored. So it had to be 12 foot tall so that Big Bird could stand in front of it.
0: And that must have been a a tremendous uh, photo opportunity right there. It
1: was pretty incredible.
0: And I hope you did get a picture of yourself with Big Bird. And
1: You know what? We didn't get to get a picture with Big Bird, but we did get to stay and see the honors event, which was a really big deal. So uh, that kind of stuff was bucket list and amazing um, to be able to be a part of. And hopefully all of that can begin again soon.
0: That must have been a wonderful experience and satisfying to see your work used in that way. It
1: was incredible. I, I absolutely adore working with them. They are so incredible. And I guess because they care so much about the arts, they are very, um, very much into the floristry and also trusting um, the the designer and her thought and process. It has been, that has been absolutely my most favorite thing um, that I've gotten to continually do.
0: So you mentioned a designer. Could you describe a little bit of experience of say a new bride to be coming to you for an appointment and maybe she has a wedding planner, maybe she doesn't, and how those experiences would differ working with a professional florist like yourself? Well,
1: in the past, um, I was the lead and I got to work directly with the clients to develop their color palette. And that was an incredible experience because I was able to show them all of the different types of flowers and options. Um, over the years, things have kind of changed a little bit and there is a title called event design. And often event design is executed by um, a planner and they're letting you know what flowers you are to design with. They kind of give you a list of flowers that they want you to use, and That, I mean, that's amazing that, you know, so many different people, the planners and the clients have started to know flowers well enough that they're asking for particulars, but it is a very different way of designing because it always kind of puts you in a box. I always um, say to my clients when I have the opportunity, you know, I will do exactly as you tell me to do. I will stand in this box and not look beyond, or you can allow me to be creative And let me see what is happening in this big, amazing world. And I can come back to you with, hey, you know, what about this? What about this? What about this? This happens to be blooming in the garden today. But, you know, I ask permission whether or not that's allowed. Because some of them just want me to replicate a picture and that's the end of it. And, I mean, I am capable and totally competent to do that. But I do think that the most beautiful designs I don't think I know that the most beautiful designs are absolutely 100% born when the designer is given some creative freedom and is allowed to think for the client.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that if anybody were going to hire a Holly, Holly Chapel, that the whole point would be to get some of that input, to get some of that creativity, and to have something that's highly seasonal and influenced by the garden. I I think
1: you know I hope that's the case but I mean I also do have you know wonderful relationships with planners and sometimes they just need a florist to execute and you know I have to walk both lines I I think it is sad um but I would say that what is happening now is because um because the the priority has been put back on to let's hopefully go ahead and just be able to get married. Um, People are letting go of this micromanaging and they're so grateful to have a designer who is able, number one, to even get them flowers because the floral supply chain is broken. And they are just so excited that I want to be on the project and that I am willing to make it work. I have one bride Um, who is, she, her wedding was in May and now it's been rescheduled to September. And she literally told me, I don't care what color it is. I don't care what flower you, you use. I totally want you to surprise me and I know it'll be okay. This, this is all a result of what we've all just been through. That was a rare, rare occasion that you would hear, uh, a high end bride say something like that. And it's and it's really awesome. I know for sure that I'm going to be thrilled and excited to execute, like raring to go. Can't wait to do it. And what I create will embody that feeling, that passion that I have because somebody's allowed me to to do what I love to do. So, I I am happy about these changes and. I do think that they will get to stay around for a little bit because promising a particular flower um, right now is kind of dangerous unless you're a flower farmer, anyways. Simply because there is going to be there is going to be true scarcity for sure.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that both on the import and even with. Um sourcing locally that you cannot guarantee at any one point in the season because weather happens
1: you know we've also just lost a lot of the farms too i last march i had the honor of going on a trip to california to visit flower farms and there was this one particular farm it was the most magnificent spotless extraordinary farm i've ever been to I, I can't remember how many hundreds of acres of stock and delphinium. And then there were all the, they had the fever few and the greenery and the grevillea. I mean, it was just, this was a magnificent farm. And one year later to the day they announced that they had to close, they had so much product in the ground planted for mother's day and for them to continue to work the land, tend the plant, and have it have no potential for sale in March, they called it quits within two weeks into COVID. We will see a major, major loss of some very significant companies. And everything that we do will change. The whole process is being reinvented right now. And, and everyone is being forced to the word pivot, come up with new concepts and new ways. I mean, even since I last spoke to you, um, just a few weeks ago when we were chatting and saying hello, I, I have launched a box that's direct to the consumer. So this is this was kind of unheard of that uh, that a floral designer could get a box of um, peonies shipped to the door of um, her clients and. It will continue to evolve. You know, we're teaching virtually now. Uh, We are, we are being incredibly resourceful to try and get through this, but the way it used to be and what we knew has changed and we will have to reinvent and begin again for sure.
0: And I think there will be some new opportunities and some creative, hopefully, um, applications that people can see at at the end of this despite those losses.
1: That that is very true. And you know, the one really beautiful thing that has come out of all of this is that, you know, people are growing more than they ever have. They have a newfound interest in their properties and their homes. And there is a love and a need for flowers um, in your home as a design or in your garden that was not there before. When It was all you had to rely on to brighten up your day and you saw the power of the flowers and how they could make you feel in your home in the middle of this. Um, It was undeniable and it was an incredible lesson to the people who weren't already flower fanatics. So I think it will cause a great um, want and desire for gardening and for fresh floral design. So that's exciting.
0: Yeah, I think that priorities have been reset. We've already seen that what is essential has been redefined. Um, So where some people were thought to be at the bottom of the totem pole are now, wow, our whole life revolves around what's growing in the soil. And then um, just because people have been shut in maybe in apartments for months on end, that any brief glimpse of nature that they can bring in, be it house plants or um, a bouquet from the local farmer's markets. Um, people are really starting to appreciate those in, in much different ways than they were.
1: It's amazing. It really is. And it is a blessing. And, and quite frankly, we're going to need the consumer more than we ever did before, because the demand has to increase to help um, the farmers and designers that are still standing. So and, and to protect others from, you know, losing their careers in the future. So.
0: Yeah, I think there'll be more of emphasis on experiential learning. Um, So doing those virtual classes and maybe having that box of flowers delivered to do that with you, say online at the same time, or maybe even watching recorded lesson. Yeah. So that, that will be even more interesting.
1: And even, you know, just this making flowers an experience at the farm, you know, We've been doing these large scale installations as a way to create a desire to come out to the farm. Normal people, unless they were a guest at a wedding, didn't get to experience flowers that way. And so everyone loves to have that like Instagram moment. So we've been doing these really fun events where we'll create this huge installation, you come out to the farm, you get your flowers. I've been pairing them with other local vendors, either wine or cake or cookies, whatever, and um, then you you know get to see these large scale installations. We're we're doing it again. Um, this Alaskan Peony event is happening where I'm shipping flowers to people's homes, and I will do a virtual education. But then we're also featuring the Alaskan Peony at my house. So what I'm doing. And to, to help them and to support what's happening to them, I'm buying all these peonies and then I'm going to mix them into my farm flowers, and it's allowing the general public to see a flower that they normally wouldn't see. And I've been—it's also forcing me to do fun um, education so that I'm more aware and social media. So we got to do a big interview with the Alaskan Peony Farmers and tell that story. I'm really thinking outside of the box and also trying to take my community with me either by pairing with them so I can help sell their goods or allowing my community to experience what is happening and include these other farms as well. So, and this is American Grown Flowers Month. July is um, American Grown Flowers Month. So we're really being mindful about that event Um, this month so that it is featured on all American grown flowers and then in August we will have another featured flower and in September that's how we're going to um, tackle um, events at the farm feature one particular theme and make it a fun experience to
0: come out and build around up around that so speaking of one particular flower you had mentioned dahlias before as something that wasn't Two available um, at the at the professional florist level from a local florist. Uh, Those were things more that you grew in your garden, and some people would call them old fashioned um, or uh, cut flowers that you would grow yourself and bring in. But you wouldn't necessarily go to a supermarket and buy a armful of dahlias. And there is a a recent introduction, Cafe lait that's a personal favorite for a lot of local designers. I can imagine that brides are asking for that by name.
1: For sure. So the dahlia is one of those flowers that doesn't travel well and it just wasn't available through the wholesale houses. So regular designers wouldn't even consider using it because it wouldn't be on the buy list. I, um, again, 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, I was blogging and this was very unusual for floral designers at the time And two miles down the road is the president of the Dahlia Society, a gentleman, Don's Dahlias. And I started using them in my work. And designers literally were coming from New York, as far away as New York, to get his dahlias. The work got published and the flower got seen and people started wanting it. And then it became really in demand. And then the wholesalers actually started working with local growers to get that flower as well. This particular flower is absolutely extraordinary. And I really think people quit using it, not because they felt like it was old fashioned, but because if they ever purchased it as a, a designer um, for or someone who has a retail flower shop, it wasn't um, holding It wasn't. And when you get it straight out of the garden, you know, it's absolutely magnificent. The queen of them all is definitely the Café Lay. She is extraordinary. Um, Just a beautiful, creamy, taupey base tone with layers of like a blush and a mauve rose tone in the center. And it, what it really did was give us another queen of the garden when the peonies were gone. We lose the peonies in May and June. July and August is a little sad, but then those dahlias started coming in and it gave us a flower as extraordinary to share with our clients. And, you know, but it is, it is a challenge to grow them. I mean, it is, it is complicated at best. um, If you're trying to do, you know, quite a bit of them in an area like where we are the weather has just been so unpredictable and so it's a tough one to grow and the Japanese beetles love it so there's lots of issues with that.
0: Yeah dahlias are definitely um, demanding flowers I'll say and need staking and and need constant care. Yes. So I was going to wrap us up by just having you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and find you and also make sure that they know that chapel is spelled like apple with a CH and not like the church chapel.
1: Oh, that's right. So we always say that one of my children started this. We are chapel CH apple, C-H-A-P-P-L-E. So I'm Holly Chapel on Instagram. And I have a website called Holly Hyder Chapel Flowers, where you will see our wedding and event design work. I am Hope Flower Farm, where you will see we have an online shop, which we created during um, the last couple of months. Uh, that farm also has houses our online education. We teach floral design um, virtually through that site. And we also have a, a site called Chapel Designers. And Chapel Designers is spelled like the church, C-H-A-P-E-L. And that is the organization of floral designers I mentor. And then back on the Hope Flower Farm website, we also have the chance to join something called the Greenhouse. And the Greenhouse is a virtual online community. And um, you can subscribe to that. There is a, a very minimal fee for that. And we feed information into this community. I share recipes. I talk about what we're growing, our processes. So there, there are a lot of ways to reach us. Everything has a website. Hope Flower Farm has its own Instagram. Chapel Designers has its own Instagram. So there's a lot A lot of ways to stay in touch with us. One of the other fun things that is happening, um, these events are all this month, so they're July. So um, we're really excited. The Alaskan Peonies Direct to Your Door. This is an all-American grown package. Those need to be ordered by July 17th in order to partake in the class that will be on Friday the 24th. And we have links of that um, particular course all over our Instagram and in my bio. And to continue the celebration, we are doing glam shots at the farm and you can come out and have your um, self photographed in front of those one of those really big installations. And you can choose like a flower crown or a bouquet or a flower tattoo. And you will be photographed. We have professional hair and makeup. So there are slots for that on July 23rd. And then on the 24th, 25th, and 26th, we will be receiving a magnitude of the Alaskan peonies. And I will take those Alaskan peonies and I will turn them into mixed bouquets so that I can share the beauty of these Alaskan peonies. So... It's um, something we're just really, really excited about. And you can actually see some of the information about the Alaskan peonies also on the Holly Chapel Instagram. So I, I think it's um, a really exciting time. And we would love to have you out to the farm or to design with you virtually on the 24th. You just need to make sure that you order the flowers by July 17th. And if you can't make it out that week, each month we have a class called Flower Therapy, and this month it'll be on the twenty-first of July, and we're going to be making herb wreaths and um, discussing the power of herbs and how to grow them. So that's what's coming up.
0: And if if nothing else, I would say to. Def- I would recommend to listeners to follow Holly on Instagram for those beautiful images they are so inspiring. Um, and, and such wonderful. And just like scrolling back through your feed over the last few years and looking at how things develop over the seasons is just incredible.
1: Thank you. It's really, it is really wonderful. You can certainly, um, It's so easy to to catalog your life and time through the tiles of that Instagram and also see seasonality. Um, If I ever should question, you know, when a particular thing is in bloom, I can go back and find the images and see, you know, exactly when I can expect to have one of my friends back. So it's really, uh, the social media is such a blessing. It really has advanced so many of our businesses.
0: One last thought. Um, You mentioned your seven children. So are any of them being put to work um, pinching mums out in your gardens? Uh,
1: None of my children are pinching mums. They really don't particularly like to farm. My oldest son, um, Alex, actually did leave a very um, amazing job at the government to become the director of education at our um, company He manages the greenhouse and on the online sales this summer because things have been so difficult. He has been helping Evan on the farm. Uh, We have another daughter, Abigail, who actually works at um, a local wholesaler here in the Washington, D.C. area. And she is customer relations and marketing. So, so far currently, we have, you know, two kids that have you know, joined on. I don't know, you know, if it's their passion and if they'll stay with this, but for the time being, um, they certainly don't have any chrysanthemum stories. I couldn't get that much work out of my kids. Um, I don't know how my dad pulled that off. I'm disappointed I wasn't better at forcing everybody to work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think they'll maybe in a few years develop just as much of a strong of love and nostalgia for the flower farm.
1: I hope so. I I mean, I, and I do. I owe so much to my husband, Evan, because this was also not his dream. And, um, you know, somehow he has become in charge of all of, you know, the growing and the tending. And I mean, he just really puts his heart and soul into it. And so we're really blessed to have you know, his support as well. So I should, even though he's not one of my children, he should certainly be mentioned as a, a very key player at our company.
0: And it's wonderful to know it's not only locally grown flowers and slow grown flowers, but family grown.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. We've got that bucket list for sure. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, Holly. This has been so inspiring. I can't wait to go out into my own cutting garden and to make a huge bouquet.
1: Oh, Kathy, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: Gardening by the rules. Five old ones to break, five new ones to make. We are hurtling into the third decade of the 21st century, and many of the gardening rules we have lived by are being turned on their heads. New gardeners often hear conflicting and misleading advice. Experienced gardeners may need a fresh perspective and to reevaluate their old garden habits. With a look towards the future, here are five old rules we no longer need obey and five new ones to add to our collective garden rule books. The five old garden rules to break include, Turf is king. The green suburban lawn is no longer the ideal or the goal. Turf grass is one of the most wasteful of our natural resources, not to mention highly time consuming to maintain by the owner. Today's gardeners are looking at other ground cover choices, including expanding shrub borders, installing edible beds, and hardscaping pathways. Two, spray away. Chemicals used to be the answer to all your garden's ills. But along with killing grubs, they were also taking a toll on your own health and that of the local environment. The key words today are diagnose first, then an exploration of chemical alternatives second. Live with some imperfection is very 21st century. Dig and double dig. Just a few years ago, we were all urged to dig in that compost and fertilizer to really work it in. Researchers have shown that we are doing far more damage to the soil structure than any benefit. In addition, we are turning up new weed seeds that would otherwise be dormant. Stop digging and start layering on organic materials to decompose and work their own way in. 4. Fertilize everything. Fertilizer spreaders are joining the VCR and the transistor radio in scrap heaps. Most fertilizer applied on and around plants wash away into our local streams. Today, the word is to feed the soil, not the plants. Healthy soil promotes strong growth. Add your own homemade compost and organic mulch to your beds to provide nutrients. Five, water copiously. The oscillating sprinkler is another dinosaur headed for the junkyard. Good gardeners know to group their plants by their watering needs and to use drip irrigation, not overhead sprinklers or hoses. The five new garden rules to make include, one, use local natives. Research plants that are local natives and naturally grown in your home's ecosystem. If you have a dry, shady, forested yard, choose plants native to that environment. If you have a wet area of your lawn, redesign it as a rain garden with moisture lovers. Note, just because it's labeled as a native, doesn't mean it's from your area, nor that it's suitable for your yard's microclimate. Do your research before buying and planting. Number 2. Attract Wildlife Birds, bees, and other creatures can naturally pollinate and spread the fruits of your garden labor. Encourage bugs that prey on other insects and can act as pest managers for you. Number three, plant en masse. Gardening is one area in your life you can go crazy with the quantities, and the more you use, the better it looks. A bed of 300 daffodils and groupings of 100 daisies is a feast for the eyes. Go ahead and indulge. 4. Beware of mature sizes. Trees and shrubs can quickly eat up your gardening real estate. Think twice before buying those large growth plants and exactly where you will plant them to avoid having to constantly prune or, worse still, kill them when they are overgrown in the space you assign them. 5. Grow what you love. So what if your neighbor finds your plant choices old-fashioned, boring, or garish? Look at your garden through your own eyes, and don't worry about what others think. It's yours. You make the rules. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash Kathy-Gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to WashingtonGardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener Magazine. plant profile, Black Eyed Susan. The Black Eyed Susan, Rudbeckia, is the Maryland State flower and is a native North American wildflower. It has one of the longest bloom periods of any perennial and can flower from July through September and beyond. Deadheading will extend the bloom time. Rudbeckia is an excellent cut flower and can be used dried in arrangements as well. It prefers full sun but can thrive and flower in part-sun situations. It is quite hardy and drought tolerant, once established, and is not picky about soil types. There is no need to add any artificial fertilizer to it. Instead, I give them a thin layer of compost each spring. Rubecchia form clumps and can spread by runner or by reseeding. It grows to about two to three feet wide by about as high. Black-eyed Susans are easy to dig and divide, to share with other gardeners. Butterflies and other wildlife are big fans of this flower. Leave the seed heads up for winter garden interest and to feed the birds. It is attractive massed in sunny flower borders or in a woodland garden. It pairs well with echinacea, yarrow, tall sedums, asters, Russian sage, and ornamental grasses. There are many lovely cultivars of the Rudbeckia species. Three I like a lot, are Goldstrom, Maya, and Indian summer. Rudbeckia, you can grow that. What's blooming in my garden this week? This week, I'm focusing on those wonderful climbing vertical vines, I have a few annuals, cardinal vine and moonflower, that are just starting to put on their show. I also have the old trumpet creeper vine, which I have tried to kill over and over again after thoughtlessly introducing it to my garden when I saw it covering the side of an old industrial site near me. I should have been warned by the way that vine took over that factory building that it was going to do the same thing to my garden. Still I enjoy having a few trumpet creeper vines wind their way up around a fence and bloom for the hummingbirds and other pollinators. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com On Twitter at WDCGardener On Instagram at WDCGardener And on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine